Coming up, a conversation with Lojinos Gonzalez Jr., candidate for Colorado Springs Mayor. This is 6035 Media. Casting an informed vote is your right and your duty as a citizen. I'm Brian Grossman, executive editor at 6035. And I'm Shelley Roars, spokesperson for the League of Women Voters of the Pikes Peak region. We're teaming up to bring you conversations with the candidates in the April 2023 Colorado Springs City election. So this interview is both an episode of the new 6035 Vote podcast. And the League's Making Democracy Work podcast. So let's get to it. Lajinos, why don't you get us started and tell us a little bit about yourself for a couple of minutes. Sure. Uh, so I'm Lajinos Gonzalez. Uh, uh, I like to tell a story about myself, uh, a little bit about my background. I, I, I love to say that, hey, I've been living the American dream. Uh, my parents were farm laborers from Mexico, immigrated to the United States, uh, settled in uh, in Central California where I was raised. Uh, and, uh, you know, my parents uh, worked their, worked hard. Uh, they were farm laborers. And then later, uh, uh, my father uh, moved into machine operations, uh, still so still manual labor. Uh, and he talked to me when I was young about the emphasis and the prioritization of education and working hard. And so I tried to do that. Uh, he said, can you work real hard in school? Uh, because, uh, you know, this uh, manual labor, great work, uh, honest work, but uh, he thought I could do something uh, uh, with a strong education. And so I kept working hard in uh, school. Uh, uh, when it came, t- came time to looking at colleges, again, we didn't have a lot of money, uh, so I had to go where the scholarships were. Uh, I worked real hard, and I thought I could get into the Air Force Academy, looked into that, uh, and uh, I was, uh, you know, you know blessed to have been able to be accepted into the Air Force Academy, uh, where then I did uh, uh, four years there, uh, came out as a, a commissioned as a second lieutenant, and then uh, served uh, 20 years in the Air Force. Uh, a lot of highlights, a lot of moves, a uh, couple of tours in the Middle East, a couple of tours in South America. Uh, I do like to tell a story uh, about how uh, when I was in Latin America and Colombia, there working at the embassy, uh, the highlight of my military career uh, was participating with our intelligence collection into a hostage op- uh, rescue operation uh, where the Colombian and special forces successfully rescued three American hostages and, and 12 Colombian hostages that had been held captive over a, a five years, uh, and I think most of them over seven years uh, from the insurgents there. Hmm. Uh, so it was a, a wonderful uh, to see those uh, three Americans uh, return to the United States. Uh, and then I, reti- I retired out of uh, San Antonio uh, and then moved back here in uh, 2012, and so I've been enjoying a return here. I uh, wanted to give back to my community, uh, and so I started teaching. I did my master's degree in teaching way back when. So I was a middle school teacher at Carmel Middle School. They're on the south side uh, where uh, people know I'm always a big supporter of our southeast uh, and our community there and doing everything I can to help advance uh, everybody in the city, but uh, there in the southeast, which sometimes needs that voice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I did that for a little bit, and then I ran and I was elected to county commissioner six years ago where I've been uh, uh, proudly serving our community uh, for six years and then uh, decided to get into the mayor's race, uh, you know, middle of last year and uh we'll see how it goes but uh very proud of all the service i've done community involvement here locally and, and helping our community and being a voice for them great thank you thank you for your service oh thank you all right i'm gonna ask you uh, some specific questions now sure um so city council recently passed the 128 percent water rule uh, regarding annexations uh wondering where you stand on that water rule and uh sort of how the city annexes currently 
Sure. Well, water is critical for our community here. You know, we're we're always perennially uh, uh, dry and need to make sure that we're doing smart moves, decisions on uh, making sure we address the water issues here for long-term growth. Uh, and it's some, something I've been involved in. So when they first had their meeting, I believe it was uh, the October uh, Utilities Board meeting, I did uh, attend and listen. Uh, I did uh, speak for, you know, my, uh, I think it was two minutes or three minutes that you mm-hmm. could speak. Uh, and I just asked that we do a, a, a regional uh, discussion on this so that we can have strategic long-term plans on what to do about water and what to do about growth. Uh, the county and the city have uh, partnered over on uh, annexation uh, discussions, and we do have a uh, uh, an intergovernmental uh, agreement, so an IGA between us. Uh, and one of the concerns I had when I first heard this uh, was, what does that do to our IGA? Uh, it may it, Does it negatively affect it? Mm-hmm. Does it negatively uh, affect uh, housing costs because uh, their potential is there uh, if it's not done smartly. Uh, and then listening at the first meeting, uh, it, I didn't get the uh, – uh, I didn't feel comfortable that uh, they had uh, identified the 130 uh, percent. Now now they voted on 128. Yeah. It was amended and and, so, uh, right. and a first vote at 128 uh, where those numbers came from. And so I, I just honestly uh, believe we need a little bit more dialogue before they do a final vote. Uh, and so I'm clearly supportive of anything that takes water into account uh, and allows the city – uh, and working with our community partners uh, to identify what that long-term growth strategy, strategy should be. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure we start those discussions immediately, uh, and they should be starting now. Uh, I've actually asked that they begin now uh, at the county and city level because I do represent the county, uh, and let's get with our partners together. Uh, but right now I think they should wait on a final vote until we have those discussions so we're, they're making a smart decision uh, on long-term water use. And how do you feel about these flagpole annexations specifically where you – bring in parts of the city and sort of try to connect it to the city? To, sure. To, uh, I think those should be minimized yeah. uh, because uh, one of the things you want uh, as we're trying to grow, we're trying to grow smartly. So how do we do that? Well, making sure that we have uh, uh, growth areas, annexation areas, if we're going to annex, mm-hmm. uh, where we already have uh, critical service, mm-hmm. essential services available, fire departments, police departments, the infrastructure, whether it's roads, uh, water, or utilities, connections. Uh, when you do a flag annexation, it makes it more difficult and more costly to do so. So mm-hmm. so they should be limited in scope if they're done, uh, but uh, we should be uh, identifying areas for smart growth and uh, putting those in our long-term plan and, and trying to annex smartly so that we're taking uh, – efficient use mm-hmm. of our infrastructure and our uh, essential services like police and fire, uh, and that's going to help keep our costs low, keep housing costs uh, from rising uh, even more as they are, as we've seen the last several years. we got to do everything we can to make things efficient. Uh, and so I, I think annexations that uh, uh, are in better positions and strategically placed make more sense than a flagpole annexation. Okay. Thank you. Shelly? Yes, sir. Um, so I've kind of got a two-pronged question still about water, but you may have already answered the second part with regards to your annexation mm, um, sure. views right there. But um, with regards to water, we do waste a lot. Landscaping is one of the biggest uses of our water to make our grasses look green and our yards look pretty curb appeal. I am a realtor, so I totally understand that curb appeal. I also don't under- I do not understand p- planting Kentucky bluegrass in an area that it's not native either. Um, so number one, how can we do better with regards to waste? And it's not just my individual neighbor either. It's big business, you know, those big resorts and those golf courses that, right. you know, need that. Um, so that's kind of the first question and um, kind of keeping it short and sweet. But then also 
Should the city consider extending water and other utilities to subdivisions that are located outside that city, which is part of that annexation um, that, well, that might not never be annexed, but being a regional water provider, is that something we should we should look at? Sure. And so on the first part, uh, that's a great question. And one of the things we did at the county level uh, several years ago, as, as we saw some of these issues related to water and, say, uh, the the lush grass that you'd have in the front lawn or back lawn, uh, we were addressed. We looked at the uh, the land use code, and, and a lot of times that's already dictated in minimal minimum amounts of you know grass areas. Uh, and w- we said that doesn't make sense. We need to allow xeriscaping. We need to allow these things that allow us to uh, be water smart uh, and conserve our water. And so uh, we changed our uh, our land code uh, to uh, make a. Make it more, uh, uh, make it easier for people to do xeriscaping and to save water, and to not make any mandates where we're going to uh, force this uh, excessive one cost and two water usage. And so uh, we wanted to make sure we minimize that. We did change the code. If there's anything in the city that we can do to make uh, those codes easier for people to do xeriscaping and other water efficiencies, uh, let's do that because we don't want to make sure, as we're growing, we need to make sure we're uh, using our water effectively and, and saving as much as we can. Uh, also on that, anything that we can do to incentivize through uh, uh, the utilities uh, for water conservation, we need to look into that. We need to make sure that uh, people are, are taking, uh, uh, not wasting our water resources uh, and being incentivized uh, to conserve as much water as possible. So we're gonna, I want to make sure that I work with the utilities. Again, the mayor is not a board member of the utilities, but uh, uh, ex officio, so that does get to participate and ask questions and bring up ideas. Uh, and so I want to be one of the voices and leaders in helping to uh, make sure that we're being uh, water smart uh, as, as we grow as a community. Uh, the, the other aspect, again, uh, a lot of the annexations that would take place as we're growing, uh, those would be on a, on a case-by-case basis, but I absolutely think we need to prioritize our infill of the city, utilize the areas that we see around our community. Uh, and they're all over the place. In the southeast, there's one area right now, uh, Hancock Commons is coming in. I live right next to that. Uh, that's been open space, uh, uh, just a grass area, uh, not a, a, a very... Uh, conducive des- uh, layout in terms of the size, uh, but they're going to do some renovations that allow that into uh, into housing. Uh, so that makes sense. We have uh, s- uh, various areas around the community uh, that we should be uh, providing uh, infill uh, for our housing and, and commercial uh, and taking advantage of that. Again, if you can do that, you can make more effective use of our essential services, our critical services, where there are already fire departments close by, police stations close by, utility hookups, right down the street. And that's how you're going to help keep costs down and maximize our growth and efficiencies. Now, again, as we are growing over time, we're talking about decades worth of growth, we're going to have to annex at some point. And so we want to make sure that we're doing that smartly. Uh, And if we uh, utilize regional partners, uh, that we provide the waters where it makes smart. And then again, that's where our coming together in a regional dialogue with our community partners, city, county, and the water districts to make sure we're doing that in a smart way and annexing, annexing and growing smartly. But again, I really want to emphasize our infill, use the land, use the services that we've got locally. Thank you. Uh, here's a private property right question. Uh, how do you feel about access- accessory dwelling units being allowed in single-family residential areas? Sure, and uh, that's a great question because that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with mm-hmm. some of the infill mm-hmm. uh, and utilizing and growing in the city as our first priority before annexing. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, those be annex, uh, case-by-case basis. In this case, you want to look at them in a case-by-case basis as well. Uh, there's already land use uh, uh, codes in place uh, to, to kind of uh, provide guidance on how to do this. Uh, but that doesn't mean we, sh- we can't change them or shouldn't change them. Uh, at the county, well, we were the, one of the first in the whole country to allow tiny homes in certain properties mm-hmm. as long as they met guide, guidance, guidelines. And this makes sense in terms of like adding ADUs to certain communities and certain areas of the city. Now, there are cert- probably uh, or definitely certain areas of the city. I would probably think uh, they're not going to be compatible uh, in areas. Uh, there's some uh, culturally and uh, heritage uh, areas that I think uh, maybe we don't want to do that to. And so we want to make sure that any decisions are based upon, uh, again, uh, smart use of land uh, infill, but also having robust public input so that we're not doing anything that uh, would not be smart for the city, wouldn't be smart for our community. Uh, again, right now there's a lot of discussions on this east-west corridor mm-hmm. on uh, expansions on roads uh, uh, mm-hmm. through Constitution, through the middle of uh, north side of uh, Old North End kind right. of area. Uh, and there might be some communities that we would say, you know, uh, ADUs don't make sense in these communities. Uh, but uh, we want to make sure that we do, again, as part of that strategic review of our growth, uh, how we're going to do these smartly. And so I, I would be open to adding ADUs as one of our uh, uh, many uh, uh, ways of addressing our housing issue mm-hmm. and rising costs because we need to address that. Uh, but again, I, I do think it has to be limited and in certain areas of where it makes sense. Now, when you say cultural and heritage, do you mean historically protected? So, yes, exactly. There's residential. Areas, yes, right. so there's, okay. there's clearly certain areas in the city you probably wouldn't want to just add something. Just add something. So, because uh, I've never really uh, appreciated a statewide or, or locally uh, blanket approach to something. Sure. So say, oh, ADUs are going to be approved in every area of the city right. or uh, something that comes down from the state that says blanket approval of A or B or, you know, mm-hmm. X and Y, uh, that doesn't make sense. And so, again, we want to make sure that these are done smartly, done in the right parts of the city, but we want to make sure we're making more efficient use of our land. Uh, and so I do think ADUs are one way to be able to address that. Okay. And I think that sets up Shelley's next question, right? It does. And it looks right <laughs> yeah. into... Um, your plan basically to um, address our affordable housing attainability, as some call it a crisis, but, you know, is it really attainable, whether it's rent for some, right, or even sure. just owning a home? Right. And I, th- I think uh, we've already kind of asked two questions where I've kind of already brought that in because this this issue is so important. It. it it is involved in every aspect that we're doing probably uh, in terms of uh, when we talk about water, when we talk about growth, uh, when we talk about uh, public safety. You know, every, this is going to be embedded in every, almost every uh, talking point uh, and, and important priority that we have. And so uh, uh, um, how do we address that? One of the things uh, I, I appreciate in experience was that I did serve a couple of years in our counties. Uh, liaison uh, to the housing authority at the county level. And so I did get to see how some of our funds at the county level uh, greatly helped address some of this uh, at our local level. And uh, some of those are the uh, private activity bonds that allows uh, uh, construction projects uh, for housing uh, to utilize uh, tax-free bonds. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is going to save them, uh, depending on the size, hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars uh, in construction uh, costs over the, uh, the duration of those bonds. And so those are the things we need to make sure that we're utilizing properly and efficiently. And then the thing I think hopefully we can do better is time that together with other grants so that you now you, you're just uh, maximizing and increasing the effectiveness for every dollar. It's not a one-on-one.
one. Now it's a one to two, one to three, and be able to use that exponentially to uh, increase our housing stock, uh, which is going to help keep the cost down and hopefully bring costs down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's one aspect. Other things, helping uh, uh, new homeowners or lower income homeowners, homeowners uh, again, at the county level, I saw how we were able to use that through a project, a program we, we called uh, uh, Turnkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would allow these uh, lower income or first, uh, first-time homeowners uh, to get uh, reduced uh, down payments. Uh, and then uh, that fund self-replenishes uh, uh, mm-hmm. over time as they start paying back those, those, uh, uh, some of that turnkey. And some of those are forgivable. And so we want to try to find all of these different uh, methods of uh, being able to, one, bring down costs and get those uh, uh, potential homeowners into a new home because uh, clearly we see that those people that have been able to invest and have that home uh, have that equity that comes together. That's how a lot of these people are become that middle-income family mm-hmm. uh, down the road or in a single individual uh, because of the equity that they get from getting into that first home. So if we can make things easier uh, and doing it in a way that's smart uh, and expands the housing stock, keeps the cost down, this is something we need to do. And so there's just a couple of ideas, but anything we can do to work with our nonprofits as well, uh, as well, again, any other funding programs statewide or nationally at the federal level uh, that helps us increase that housing stock uh, and helps a, a family or an indiv- individual person getting into a home we need to try to do that. Okay. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lohinos, you touched on growth, uh, which is obviously a big deal, and utilizing services, public services that already exist would be ideal rather than having to expand those because of annexations and such. Uh, but the police force, even with the population mm-hmm. that we have now, is already strained. Um, we have figures anywhere from 50 to 70 officers below authorized strength. Uh, what do you do about that? considering the population that we have now that's already short on what appears you know police officers and as we continue to grow how do you how do you address that sure and again on the housing part uh, when you do infill that allows you to utilize the uh, the already existing services right. probably going to still increase manning mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it'll uh, uh, keep you from having to build you know, new ones, new right. stations mm-hmm. uh, you know as as we grow uh, potentially or it helps us uh, save costs there long term to address the the big issue of how do we retain how to rec- recruit good officers mm-hmm. uh, to our force uh, and and then keep them uh, and so th- what I want to do is I'll make sure we do things like some of the, some of the basics you know compensation studies mm-hmm. to see how you know is this something that's uh, keeping them from joining or having them leave the force are they going somewhere else uh, is there some sort of morale issue mm-hmm. that would keep not necessarily bring them in but uh, they would be then leaving us for some reason right. how do we look into that uh, but a lot of times it's salary a lot of times it's benefits and so we're gonna have to look at that uh, so that we can make sure that we are retaining what we have and then bringing in uh, sufficient numbers to get us to that n- uh, number and I, I believe it's like a six 60 or 70 mm-hmm. short. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did, I think, believe at the county level, just get up to our uh, our, our authorized strength. Yeah. Uh, and, but that took some time as well, uh, uh, similar to the cities. And so I want to make sure we address that. Uh, if it, it takes additional dollars uh, funding to uh, to get them on par, uh, then we'll look at that. And uh, we may have to do that. And, and I'd be supportive of that if that's what the, the information and the data says is the issue. If it's other things, uh, benefits, well, then let's look at the benefits. Uh, if it's morale, let's look at what might be causing that morale issue. Uh, and I do know uh, over the last several years, uh, nationwide and mm-hmm. statewide, not just locally, this is happening across the country, uh, we have uh, seen uh, in our law enforcement and first responders uh, a little bit of uh, uh, 
reluctance to stay in in, in the service uh, in, in in the career field or, or to enter the career field. And mm-hmm. so one of the things I would like to do, and I've been doing it already, uh, is do these town halls and forums mm-hmm. or bring in our community leaders, uh, those and our uh, law enforcement and our first responders together to uh, to talk about issues that are going on in our community that's going on nationwide uh, and see if there's any issues that could be, uh, whether, again, it's funding or morale that helps improve uh, those conditions so that we have a, a city, our community, and our workers, or our, our police and fire, uh, who are proud of, of the service they provide, provide of the jobs that they do, uh, and proud of the city they live in and, and want to continue to live here and work. And so uh, we're going to address those uh, as best possible, and, and I'm open to uh, uh, public input on how to do that. Uh, I want to look at some of the data, again, on salaries. Uh, and I think one of the other things uh, that we need to address uh, specifically is uh, uh, the previous uh, police chief uh, had mentioned and acknowledged that uh, uh, we did have some uh, slow call response times and some drop call issues. Uh, and so I want to make sure that we're addressing those issues uh, so that our public uh, feel like they're getting the best service possible because clearly uh, number one job in, in government uh, is, is really providing for public safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, our residents uh, deserve to feel and, and, to, and to know that they, they are safe in their homes, in their communities and neighborhoods. Uh, and so I want to make sure that as mayor uh, we address those issues and, and uh, we correct any of those issues right now with, uh, again, manning, training, and, uh, uh, and retention. Okay, thank you. Shelly? How are we doing on time? Uh, we're getting there, so you go ahead. The last if you want to ask, yeah, go ahead and do okay. that, and we'll, we'll see where we are. I might have one more. Yes, sir. Um, so a couple things. What are your thoughts, and these are kind of should be kind of brief, but what are your thoughts on moving spring municipal elections to the fall to help increase voter turnout, overall voter turnout, because we know usually it's pretty low in, in this type of year? And then it can also possibly save the city up to $600,000 per election time. What, do you, what are your thoughts there? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, All right. No, absolutely. This is one of the things that, again, what I've always uh, supported what makes sense. How do you save money? How do you think do things more efficiently? And I think this is one of those smart things that can and should be done. If you again, if you put it with the regular elections in the November timeframe, uh, you're going to save the cost on having to do this all on your own mm-hmm. uh, and, and and doing the ballots and the elections and the counting and everything on your own. That's going to save money. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, the voter turnout, we already see how low of a voter turnout we see at the municipal elections compared to the general elections in November. So this is going to help turn uh, uh, turnout, increase our turnout. And, and that's valuable because people's voices need to be heard. And in different parts of the city, you already see limited voting. Uh, the southeast where I live uh, at the city council uh, district races, uh, that vote is usually one-half one of any of the other districts that are voting. And so how do we improve those voices? How do we improve the opportunity for them to be heard uh, and have their issues addressed? And I think that's by doing everything we can to improve the voter turnout and by uh, putting it on November, that makes sense. I'd I'd be supportive of that. Thank you, sir. And kind of a second follow-up is, this is a mayor, strong mayor kind of community in the instance of... um, running for mayor, right? Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on raising city council pay to a reasonable amount to be inclusive of those who don't have the ability to do this job as their only job, like some of our retiree candidates? Sure. And I appreciate that. I think that's a smart thing, too. Uh, 
as we've seen uh, a lot, and I appreciate it. I'm a veteran. I'm a I'm retired Air Force officer, uh, served my country, uh, and, and I would be able to do something uh, at the city council level or the mayor's if it, if, if it uh if I wanted to just on a volunteer basis because I have a pension. And then as a businessman, I have rental properties. So I I have other sources of income that would allow me to take that job. But uh, it limits the pool when it's, uh, what, $6,200, I believe, uh, annually. Uh, Annually. (laughs) 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 $6,250. Annually. uh, You know, so it limits the pool of uh, people that can run. And we've got quality people in this great city and community that could run and be effective leaders, but many of them can't do it because of the salary. So I would look at that as well, and and I would encourage something that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you very much. We do have time, so I'm going to ask you one more thing. Sure. Uh, Do you foresee asking voters uh, for any sort of tax increases if you're elected mayor? Uh, I do not. Taxes or fees? Sure. I I, I do not. Uh, And uh, honestly, the last several years, uh, I I think we can – do some things uh, more efficiently and effectively, and that's what I'd like to do. I, I think I've done that at the county level, looked at the uh, the budgets uh, to do things uh, effective and efficiently, and I think we can f- uh, find some things uh, to uh, put additional dollars to public safety, roads, parks, uh, which are woefully underfunded. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think we can improve there without tax increases. And why do I say that? Well, the uh, budget from 2019 to 2023 has increased 36%. Uh, so increases are there. Uh, with the ARPA funds and the CARES Act funds, uh, that was about $100 million that the city received over the last several years. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't think we need uh, these tax increases. And, and I, I'm very reluctant to add uh, additional tax burden to our residents as we came out of COVID, where so many people were laid off, uh, where inflation has been hitting them hard, mm-hmm. uh, and where, you know, they, several, uh, lots of our families locally have been struggling to put, you know, that uh, food on the table uh, coming out of COVID and with inflation hitting hard. Uh, I, I think we can do things without a tax increase. Uh, and I think with the budget increases that I've, I've just uh, stated, the 36% and the ARPA funds, uh, being properly used, I think we can be effective and efficient without any tax increases. And you mentioned parks. Maybe you could expand on that a little because parks are a huge topic here in the city. Sure. Both for developers who don't necessarily want to, you know, a lot as much space as maybe the citizens want. And then uh, as the government, you sort of have to be an intermediary. How, do, how would you address the park situation? Sure. And I tell the story a lot. I moved back here. You know, I went to school here, college here. But uh, uh, I love this area because the outdoors and the, the parks, the open space, the Garden of the Gods. Pikes Peak, I mean, this is a beautiful area, and this is why people want to come back and stay here and live. And that's mm-hmm. what I, I, I greatly appreciated. So I want to do more for our parks. And, again, I think that with the uh, uh, the increase in the budget, uh, one of the things that happened in 2021 uh, was the Tabor uh, uh, retention mm-hmm. request that saved some money. Uh, some of that money went to uh, the wildland, uh, wildland uh, mitigation. Right. Uh, but that also allowed for uh, a retention of dollars going forward after that. And I think there's funds there that can be uh, utilized to improve our parks. And so I, I'm uh, uh, I'm committed to Im- improving our parks and uh, getting additional dollars uh, there through our general fund. Okay. Uh, Lohinas, would you take just a couple minutes to uh, wrap up and remind voters why they should vote for you? Sure. Uh, again, uh, I, I think I've got that broad background uh, that uh, uh, separates me a little bit, uh, being a military veteran. Uh, I was a school teacher before. Uh, I was also a college professor before uh, as part of the military, but I got the experience there. Uh, I'm a businessman uh, and uh, uh, 
you know, just that background that I bring uh, allows me, I think, that experience uh, and understanding to be able to represent a, com- a diverse community that includes so many veterans, right? When was the last time we had a veteran that was a, a mayor uh, that can be their voice? They can be the voice of so many people. Uh, and uh, so that's one of the reasons. And then I think I've, uh, I want to really prioritize uh, what I think the residents prioritize, uh, our uh, public safety, our roads and infrastructure, uh, transparency, and making sure that we take care of our parks and make good, sound decisions on growing our our community smartly uh, and addressing those water issues. So uh, I, I think I've got the broad background that uh, really fits our community, uh, and that I can be that great, uh, that honest and strong voice for our community uh, because I think I've been doing that for the last six years for our community and I think they've seen it Uh, and I just ask for people's support uh, for uh, you know Lojinos Gonzalez for mayor. All right thank you Lojinos we appreciate your time. Uh, You've been watching or listening to a joint podcast effort by 6035 Media and the League of Women Voters of the Pikes Peak region. Be sure to follow Making Democracy Work and check out lwvppr.org for more information regarding our candidate forums in March. And stick with us at 6035 Vote to make sure your vote is an informed one. This podcast is produced by Dave Gardner, video directed by Nick Raven. I'm Brian Grossman, executive editor. And I'm Shelley Rohr, spokesperson of the League of Women Voters. See you next time. Hi, I'm Dave Gardner. And I'm Nick Raven. We're the podcast producers here at 6035 Media. 6035 Vote is just one of a growing family of hyperlocal podcasts that we're creating. And these are for you, someone who wants to engage fully in your community. We've got the 6035, which is a quick, lively recap of the top news stories of the week. It's my favorite. It's really great and often funny. I love having you as a guest, actually. I do, too. And then we have Hot Takes and Stream Breaks, which is a potpourri of news and commentary about movies, gaming, TV, streaming, and just so much more. It's for youthful heart and you know, that could be anyone, really. Yeah, I'm surprised I even really enjoy it because Nick hosts that and uh, he's, he's witty. Well, and the cool thing is that you can watch both of these podcasts on YouTube. Or you can listen to them on the go in your favorite podcast app. And there's a couple more, uh, but you can also visit 6035media.org slash podcast to see them, browse them, sample them. And then subscribe to the ones that you like. And then subscribe to this YouTube channel. Yeah, and if you really love it all, like we do, uh, you Which can just you can just subscribe to the sixty thirty five podcast network podcast, which is a conglomeration of all the episodes, all the brilliance and humor that emanates from the studio. Absolutely, and there's a lot of it. So like and subscribe today, and go listen to them all or watch them. What he said. Good. Thanks. Got it. That wasn't so painful.